0: Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. We're going to read Jeremiah chapter 50. We've been studying in in Jeremiah 50 for uh, a while. And I'm going to start reading... In verse 27 and read through verse 32, Jeremiah 50, beginning in verse 27. Slay all her bullocks, let them go down to the slaughter. Woe unto them, for their day is come, the time of their visitation. The voice of them that flee and escape out of the land of Babylon to declare in Zion the vengeance of Jehovah our God, the vengeance of his temple, Call together the archers against Babylon, all ye that bend the bow. Camp against it round about. Let none thereof escape. Recompense her according to her work, according to all that she has done. Do unto her, for she has been proud against Jehovah, against the Holy One of Israel. Therefore shall her young men fall in the streets, and all her men of war shall be cut off in that day, saith Jehovah. Behold, I am against thee, O thou most proud, saith the Lord Jehovah of hosts. For thy day is come, the time that I will visit thee. And the most proud shall stumble and fall, and none shall raise him up. Now a kindle a fire in his cities, and shall devour all round about him. I'll stop reading there. Now, um, as we've studied jeremiah 50 we've seen that babylon is a picture of the world of the kingdom of satan which would include the church today as satan overcame the church the church became a part of his kingdom a part of babylon and and in jeremiah 50 the judgment is being brought upon babylon because babylon has Uh, dared to put forth its hand against God's people, against the church. That is, God raised up Satan. He loosed Satan to come against the churches and congregations. Uh, And Satan, um, as a servant, really, was utilized by God to destroy the church. Yet, he should not have done that. He really should not have done that. You You do not stretch forth your hand against God's anointed. And so after he fulfills God's purpose in destroying the church, then God turns around and judges Satan and his kingdom, Babylon, for daring, uh, to, to harm the people of God. Or, or those that identify with God. And, and that's what Jeremiah 50 and 51 are describing and the, the judgment upon Babylon is Judgment Day on this world. And, you know, um, when we think about Judgment Day, we would expect the language that e-Bible has been finding in the Bible to be used. That is, Judgment Day um, identifies with a shut door, with the end of salvation, with spiritual darkness, with the lights of the gospel being put out, with no more salvation, all these terms are perfectly in line with Judgment Day. Now, the 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 real question is, are we living in the day of judgment? And that's why we've spent so much time studying the Bible and looking into that uh, matter. And, and the Bible answers, yes, we are. And therefore, when when we're using this kind of language, it's completely fitting, it's appropriate, it's suitable for the period that we're looking at of Judgment Day. What's not suitable, what's not in keeping with Judgment Day is language of salvation. It's not in keeping for us to think, well, it's like any other time and, and you can go to God today And you can beseech him for mercy and he'll save like he would any other period of time. That's not, um, there's no agreement with that idea in Judgment Day. So either it's Judgment Day or it's not Judgment Day. And what we've seen from the Bible is everything insists that it is. That when God locked in May 21, 2011 and has never unlocked it, when the Bible pointed to that date and and God um, warned the world in an in enormous way when He had His people declare May 21, 2011, Judgment Day, all across the face of the earth. And then all of a sudden, all the uh, activity of God's people in going forth with the Gospel just completely stopped. It just completely stopped at that point after... May twenty one, twenty eleven, passed because God had accomplished His purpose in evangelizing the world. He had saved all of His elect, and now it was the day of judgment, and and that's what uh, we're continuing to find as we go through the Bible. You know, um, we're going through Jeremiah fifty, we're going through the Book of Revelation, we've gone through Psalm thirty seven, Isaiah twenty four we've looked repeati- repeatedly at Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. We're looking everywhere we can. We've gone through 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Everywhere God speaks about the end, judgment day, we're looking, we're studying, uh, is there anything we're missing? We're going verse by verse. And everything is in agreement. There's nothing 3 years later. There's not a single verse people can turn to, to say that God's still saving. Isn't that unusual? You would think there would be a verse in the Bible, or more than one, but but there would be some scripture that people could turn to, to just disprove this in an instant. No, no way. And, and whenever they go to verses, um, like they refer to salvation unto the ends of the earth, and they post that, here's the verse... Well, no, because that's a geographical reference. And it, it doesn't mean time. It means to China and India, to the ends of the earth. It, it's, it's geography. And, and that's been the case. Every single time they, they try to come up with scriptures like that, it, it doesn't take long, and then you see, no, that's not the answer. I'm sorry. It doesn't prove ongoing salvation to the end of the world. There there has been no proof, and the only ones actively involved in investigating these things in any kind of in-depth way have been people associated with the Bible. Is there any other, maybe I'm missing something, is there any other ongoing in-depth Bible studies looking at these things, trying to find answers to the Great Tribulation period and and the timeline and so forth. No. No, it's only been e-Bible. And, and the idea from so many is, well, obviously it, uh, it's still, the world's still continuing, the sun's still shining, so it's salvation. And, and that's it. We were wrong, it's salvation. And that's as far as they go. They don't look to try and see, well, where was the errors? And, and how can we correct things? There's no effort along those lines. And, and that's why they're not coming to truth, because they're not going to the Bible and looking into it to see what God is saying to us. Alright, uh, in these verses we just read, we're going to find three words I'd like to look at. Uh, one is visitation, or visit, The other is escape and the third one is vengeance in in this passage where God uses these three words and um, it's interesting how he uses them Um, first let's let's look at visitation it says in verse 27 at the end of the verse for their day is come the time of their visitation and also in verse 31 for thy day is come the time that I will visit thee. At the end of the verse. Now those are two different um, uh, Hebrew words. But they're very closely related. And um, there there's really no difference. Uh, they're right next to each other in Strong's Concordance. And they mean the same thing. Now the word visitation is 6486. And it carries the idea of judgment. Now when God... Comes in judgment, does it mean um, everyone's guilty and, and he will destroy everybody? When God comes as a judge, is it, is it to just bring wrath? What does a judge come to determine? Innocence or guilt? Innocence or guilt? So when when um, the Apostle Paul said Unto Caesar's judgment seat I want to go. Was he saying, take me to Caesar's seat so Caesar could punish me? Or take me to Caesar so Caesar could judge my case and determine my guilt or innocence? And Pilate, when he judged the Lord Jesus Christ, what was his determination? I find no fault in him. He was innocent. So a judge, when performing judgment, can find innocence or find guilt. Now, when God comes to judge the world, as he's done, and he's judging all unsaved people today, is he judging the true believers? Well, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, it says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, and... The word appear is a word that means made manifest. We must be made manifest before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, we, we think, well, no, God isn't going to judge us. But the Bible says, yes, he's coming to judge to determine guilt or innocence. He's coming to determine whether we've done good or bad. It says there in Second Corinthians 5 in the same context. That's what God determines to do. Now, have you done good or have you done bad? Well, if, of course, we've all done bad, we're all sinners, none is righteous. But if we're saved, then in God's sight, we've done good. Because all of our sins are washed away and he doesn't see any guilt. And, and so when he comes in judgment and the believers who were judged in Christ from the foundation of the world... And all of our sins were paid for at that point, um, before the world was even created. Uh, That's when we were judged, but to make that manifest, just like Christ was judged from the foundation of the world. But did he come a second time? Yes. In 33 AD, he went to the cross to demonstrate the things he had done as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. God's people were judged in him and it's God's plan to have us appear or be made manifest before his judgment seat throughout this prolonged period of judgment day and so here we find ourselves living on the earth in the day of judgment yet the judgment of God is I I see no sin in them I see his elect I find no fault in them And that will be his judgment at the end of this period of time. And that's why God's people will be lifted up into heaven. And finally, the completion of God's whole plan for this world will occur. And, And so that's what a judge does. He determines guilt or innocence. And that's also how it is with this word visitation. The word visitation carries the idea of judgment. And God comes to visit to see how how people are doing or how a corporate body is doing. For instance, in Genesis 50, in Genesis 50, verses 24 and 25, it says, And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you. And bring you out of this land unto the land which he sware to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and he shall carry up my bones from hence. So twice the word visit. God will surely visit you. Now when God visited them, who else did he visit? The Egyptians. He visited the Egyptians in wrath. But he visited his people in mercy. He delivered his people. And yet he visited both. He he came at an appointed time. Uh, he visited the saved and the unsaved. One, he visited and uh, brought plagues upon them. The other, he visited and delivered them out of Egypt. Because they typified his people. Now in Psalm 106... It says in verse four, Remember me, O Jehovah, with the favor that thou bearest unto thy people, O visit me with thy salvation. So that's the same word, but here it's in a positive uh used in a positive way. Also in um, Jeremiah twenty nine, beginning in verse ten. Jeremiah twenty nine, ten, for thus saith Jehovah. That after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith Jehovah, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me and ye shall go and pray unto me and I will hearken unto you. Ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. And I'll be found of you, saith Jehovah. And I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith Jehovah. And I'll bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. So God here is speaking of visiting his people after the 70 years, and the 70 years would represent the great tribulation period. After 70 years, I will visit you and then bring you, cause you to return to this place, which is uh, really a reference to the kingdom of heaven. And and so again, it's a positive thing. It, it has to do with salvation. But negatively, as we find in Jeremiah 50, we also find the word visitation or visit used in negative ways in Psalm 59. Thou therefore, O Jehovah God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to visit all the heathen. Be not merciful to any wicked transgressors, Selah. So there to visit means to not be merciful. And that ties in with what we're learning today. God has visited Babylon, this world in judgment and ended his salvation program. He's not being merciful to the heathen. The heathen is a word that means nations. It, it's just the Gentiles, nations are heathen. It, it's a translation, English translation of the same Hebrew word. Um, look at Isaiah 13, verse 11, and here the word, the Hebrew word 6485 that's translated. Visit other places is translated as punish. In Isaiah thirteen verse eleven, and I will punish the world for their evil, and the wicked for their iniquity, and I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease, and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. And it's in the context of judgment day, so it, it so implies punishment. This word. That it's translated that way. I will visit the world for their evil. I will punish the world for their evil. Now this, this is an interesting word. It's also the word that's translated as numbered in the book of Numbers again and again. You know, number the people of Israel, number this tribe, number the next tribe. It's the same word that's translated as visit or punish. And Uh, I'm not quite sure why uh, it's translated as numbered, but it is. And uh, it's often translated as punished. It's the word that's used in Isaiah 26, verse 21. For behold, Jehovah cometh out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth also shall disclose her blood and shall no more cover her slain. Again, it's that word "visit." Um, let's just go to one more, one more place in Jeremiah twenty-five, verse twelve. And it shall come to pass when seventy years are accomplished, that I will punish the king of Babylon, or I will visit the king of Babylon, and that nation saith Jehovah for their iniquity, and the land of the Chaldeans will make a perpetual desolation. You. You can't tell the difference between this and say Isaiah thirteen eleven or Isaiah twenty six twenty one. I will punish the world for their iniquity. I will visit the world for their iniquity. I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation for their iniquity, because they're synonymous. They're saying one and the same thing. And and remember also we saw in Jeremiah twenty nine ten. After 70 years, God said, I will visit you and gather you, returning you to your land, speaking to his people. Here, it's the king of Babylon and the Babylonians, and I will punish you when 70 years are accomplished. So he's accomplishing both things. He's He's performing both. He's going to save his people and judge the rest that are not his people just as he did when he came to Egypt, he visited the Jews and delivered them, but he visited the Egyptians in his wrath. Well, all right, let's go back to Jeremiah 50, and we'll move on to verse uh, 28. The voice of them that flee and escape out of the land of Babylon to declare in Zion the vengeance of Jehovah our God, the vengeance of his temple. Here God is, is making reference to the voice of them. So it's not the voice of Christ alone, but the voice of them. It's plural. Them that flee and escape out of the land of Babylon. The word escape, um, it, it really implies... Uh, if you're able to escape salvation, if you're not able to escape, then judgment. You've been destroyed. You you were not able to escape. It's, it's pretty consistent, New Testament and Old Testament, with the way that God uses this word. For instance, in Romans chapter 2, Romans 2 and verse 3. It says, And thinkest thou this, old man, that judgest them which do such things and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God. Will you escape? Now this is referring to someone who's uh, a professed Christian and and not truly saved, and you're doing the same things as as others that maybe you're pointing a finger at. And will you escape the judgment of god or uh, if if you do this well the the implication is no you will not if you don't escape the judgment of god then you're caught by the judgment of god and you'll be destroyed by that judgment or look at first Thessalonians chapter 5 and here we're we're pretty familiar with this chapter first Thessalonians 5 verse 2 For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. You're not going to escape. And what does that mean? If you do not escape, you'll be caught in The destruction, you'll be caught by Christ as a thief and you'll be destroyed. So, um, it's, it's fairly consistent how God uses this idea of escape. Turn to Hebrews, Hebrews two and verse three. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? So what is your, your uh, way of escape? Salvation. What if you neglect that salvation? Then how are you going to escape? You're not going to escape. You will not get away. You'll not be delivered. But um, again, you'll you'll be caught and snared and destroyed. Now, just one more verse in the New Testament, in Luke 21. Luke 21, and I'll read verses 34 through 36. And take heed to yourselves lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life and so that day come upon you unawares for as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth watch ye therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the son of man so that you may be accounted worthy to escape. If you escape, it's only because you're saved. That's the only way of escape is through salvation um, by the grace of God. And, and here it's interesting how God puts it, that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Remember, Um, what we read before in uh, Revelation 6 in verse 17, the last verse of that chapter, For the great day of His wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? Who's going to stand the great day of wrath? Well, uh, according to Luke 21, it could be that you're accounted worthy to escape these things and to stand. Um, Remember Malachi 3. Malachi 3. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. And it says in um, verse 1 and 2, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom ye seek, shall suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in, Behold, he shall come, saith Jehovah of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that he may offer unto Jehovah an offering in righteousness. So the Lord comes, and again, Who shall stand but the sons of Levi? Who will be purified as silver and gold? As silver and gold identifies with the true believers, the the true believers go through the spiritual fire, judgment day. They come out the other end, uh, in a sense purified, as God now has um, caused them to bring them before His judgment seat to make that manifest to demonstrate they are these ones that were in Christ from the foundation of the world. Their sins were paid for at that point. That's why they're able to go through this prolonged period of judgment and come out the other end. And and I find no fault in them. When I came to visit, they, uh, they had no sin that would uh, cause my wrath to come down upon them. Well, that's the New Testament. If we go to the Old Testament... We're going to find a similar usage of the word escape. Second Chronicles chapter 20. And this is that chapter where we find King Jehoshaphat and his uh, people of Judah, his army, that are marching out to the watchtower in the wilderness because armies are coming against them. And God tells them through a prophet, Don't worry. You'll not have to fight in this battle. And they go forth praising God and playing musical instruments. And when they get there, they find that they're all dead. They fought each other. And it says in Second Chronicles 20, verse 24, And when Judah came toward the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked unto the multitude, and behold, they were dead bodies fallen to the earth, and none escaped. What does escape mean? Salvation. Salvation. If you fail to escape, no salvation. It's pretty simple. None escape. They experience the wrath of God. The judgment of God um, was upon them. Or look at Lamentations 2 and verse 22. Lamentations is um, written by Jeremiah's God moved him to write this in the book of Jeremiah. And it's primarily describing the judgment on the church. And it says in Lamentations 2, verse 22, Thou hast called, as in a solemn day, my terrors round the bell, so that in the day of Jehovah's anger none escaped nor remained. Those that I have swaddled and brought up hath mine enemy consumed." So none escaped when God judged Judah, which in turn points to God's judgment on the church. None escaped. He He utterly destroyed the New Testament churches and congregations. And uh, again, it indicates the end of salvation. Um, let's also go to Joel chapter 2. And we'll read the first three verses of Joel 2. "'Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, "'and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. "'Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, "'for the day of Jehovah cometh, "'for it is nigh at hand. "'A day of darkness, and of gloominess, "'a day of clouds, and of thick darkness, "'as the morning spread upon the mountains, "'a great people and a strong. "'There hath not been ever the like, "'neither shall be any more after it, "'even to the years of many generations.' A fire devoureth before them, and behind them a flame burneth. The land is as the garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. Yea, and nothing shall escape them. This army, this great army in Joel 2, is a commentary on Revelation chapter 9 with the locusts. When the locusts go forth, and the locusts are the true believers in the day of judgment, and, and here, this is judgment day, uh, God is using the figure of His people as this massive army that destroys all before them and none escape. And, uh, the way God uses His people is because He has saved all of His elect and that is the primary means of the judgment. That is what allowed Him to shut the door of heaven, to put out the light of the gospel, and, and so forth. And, and so, uh, again, Um, The army goes forth like this strong people set in battle array, and, and there are none that escape before them. All right, just one more verse in Genesis 45. Genesis 45 and verse 7. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. The word deliverance is the word escape. So it, to save your lives by a great escape. Now Joseph is speaking to his brethren and he's telling them that if this is after the first two years of the famine, that the famine will continue five more years and you need to come into Egypt and be cared for and nourished by him. And uh, remember, this is a picture of the Great Tribulation, that seven year famine. And the five years that they would go into Egypt and be cared for by Joseph represent the Lateran period. And, and so when Joseph says to save your lives by a great escape, it, it's using that word in the positive sense where if again you're able to escape, it points to salvation. And as, um, all those that were delivered by Joseph Spiritually, point to the great multitude God saved out of the great tribulation period. All right. Um, returning to Jeremiah 50. In verse 28, the voice of them that flee and escape out of the land of Babylon. It's not that we left. We didn't go anywhere. We didn't travel anywhere. We weren't raptured. You know, that, that's normally the idea we have of escape or not escape. Uh, we were ruptured and escaped the world, it doesn't mean that. It means salvation. To escape means salvation. To not escape means you did not experience salvation. Therefore, the voice of them that flee and escape out of the land of Babylon, those that were saved out of the world, when God saved that great multitude, if he saved you, If he saved me, we have escaped and this day will will prove it. As it says in first Corinthians three, that's what the day is for to demonstrate the fire is lit to all of us and the day will prove whether or not we're gold, silver, precious stones or wood, hay, stubble. But the fact is, if we're one of God's elect, we have been saved And we have escaped. It it only needs to be made manifest through um, bringing us to the final point of this period of time. And it's the voice of them that flee and escape out of the land of Babylon to declare in Zion. Now, what does it say to declare in Zion? Well, I think it, it has to do with God commanding us to feed sheep. We're to declare these things into the world because we don't know who the sheep are and in a sense we're speaking to zion or jerusalem the spiritual body of believers and when we do so the world will also hear but we're to declare in zion the vengeance of jehovah god the vengeance of his temple now why is is god commanding us to declare the vengeance of his temple well, look at also Jeremiah 51 and verse 11. Make bright the arrows, gather the shields. Jehovah has raised up the spirit of the kings of the means for his devices against Babylon to destroy it because it is the vengeance of Jehovah, the vengeance of his temple. Again, it's repeated. Um, God. Uh, uh, well, I, I think I opened up with this. God used Satan to destroy the corporate church, but Satan should not have done it. He should not have um, gone forth against uh, those that profess the name of Christ, and his emissaries should not have done it. And so now it's God's judgment upon them for it. All right, the third word we're going to look up is this word, vengeance. Vengeance. Um, Deuteronomy 32 and verse 35 it says to me belongeth vengeance and recompense their foot shall slide in due time for the day of their calamity is at hand and the things that shall come upon them make haste also in Romans chapter 12 verse 19 Romans 12 Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So uh, God claims ownership of vengeance in Psalm 94. Uh, he reemphasizes this. Psalm 94, verse 1. O Jehovah God, to whom... Vengeance belongeth, O oh God, to whom vengeance belongeth. Show thyself. So vengeance is God's. Why? Why is he taking vengeance? Because man has transgressed his law. Man has sinned against him, has offended him. And and so God uh, pours out his wrath. The law demands satisfaction and justice for these transgressions. And in the time period when God does punish the wicked, he he is showing forth his vengeance. Now in Psalm 149, in 149, it says in verse 5, Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance upon the heathen and punishments upon the people, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute upon them the judgment written, this honor have all his saints. Praise ye Jehovah. God is the God of vengeance, not us. We're not taking vengeance on anyone. God tells us to love our neighbor, to love our enemies, and not, that hasn't changed. We, we don't judge anyone. We don't point the finger at anyone. We don't say, uh, you know, you're under the wrath of God at any individual. We don't do any of that. We continue to do what God would have us to do uh, in loving our fellow man, and, and that's why we continue to pray for him uh, in however we can. But we execute vengeance. We carry it out. Vengeance. And how is vengeance carried out? Well, it's told us in that verse in Jeremiah. The, the voice of them that flee and escape from Babylon to declare in Zion the vengeance of Jehovah, the vengeance of his temple. So as we speak it, as we share truth from the Bible, and, and that's all we're doing, this is what the Bible says. The Bible insists, again, it insists that May 21, 2011 was Judgment Day, the door shut. Well, that has all sorts of implications. All sorts of people feel judged by that. Uh, and, and there is judgment that goes forth against all kinds of people. No wonder they feel judged by that. There, There's terrible wrath that is a result of um, that kind of declaration. But as true believers, we just share what God has revealed to us, and in doing so, we're executing judgment. Now notice Psalm 149.6, a two-edged sword in their hand. What's that? What's the two-edged sword? According to Hebrews 4, verse 12, the Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. So the two-edged sword is in our hand to execute vengeance. It's through the Word of God that God is going to um, carry out His wrath. That God is going to punish the world. Well, uh, He... He is punishing the world, but he's using his saints. Um, That's what 1 Corinthians tells us. Know ye not that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, how can you not, you know, and we do do that, don't we, in our lives? We have trouble making these little decisions. These Judgment is a determination of making these determinations of what we're going to have for dinner or what we're going to buy. And God says, how can you not judge the least manners if you're going to judge the world? And God's people are executing vengeance at this time as the Lord continues to open up these things from his word, the Bible. And as we just simply share them, it's a weapon in God's hands. Now, um, look at Jeremiah 51. Jeremiah 51, verse 19 says, The portion of Jacob is not like them. And Jacob is a name God sometimes uses to refer to the elect. For he is the former of all things, and Israel is the rod of his inheritance. Jehovah of hosts is his name. Thou art my battle axe. Still speaking of Jacob, the elect. Thou art my battle axe and weapons of war. For with thee... Why break in pieces the nations? And with thee, why destroy kingdoms? And with thee, why break in pieces the horses and his rider? And with thee, why break in pieces the chariot and his rider? With thee also, why break in pieces man and woman? And with thee, why break in pieces old and young? And with thee, why break in pieces the young man and the maid? I will also break in pieces with thee the shepherd and his flock. And with thee, why break in pieces the husbandman and his yoke of oxen? and with thee will I break in pieces captains and rulers and I will render unto Babylon and to all the inhabitants of Chaldea all their evil that they have done in Zion in your sight saith Jehovah see he's referring to his people executing vengeance um, in two primary ways one he saved the last of the elect which is that weapon in God's hand, that battle axe, and also that his people will declare these things and and speak these things. Alright, we're going to stop here and we'll close with a word of prayer and then we'll take like a five minute break before we come back with a question and answer time. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for uh, your your constant Um, uh, accompaniment your your constant presence Uh, father we thank you that you never leave nor forsake us that uh, you are a very present help in time of trouble and father though uh, the the mountains be cast into the sea we will not fear uh, because you are with us and we pray that you would bless your word to each one of us and Father, we, we do ask that you would strengthen us spiritually this day for the coming days. And thank you again for all your blessings to us that we do not deserve. We, we do pray that you would uh, bless each one here or listening and our families. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for E-Bible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.